Well, a very happy new year to each and every one of you. Since it is the first day of 2023, I have a scripture that offers broad guidance for how to live, and I've chosen it as my own personal organizing thought for this year. And this morning, I'm going to bring it before you in hopes that it will be helpful for you personally and maybe even for our church altogether in 2023. Uh, To understand the text, we're going to do some Bible study, okay? Is that all right? It's it's okay with her. Great. Can you grab, if you have a Bible, you'll want to grab it, okay, and and open to the book of Ephesians. That's where the text comes from. And uh, if you want, since there's going to be a lot of scripture in it, you can always go back to the sermon that will be captured and then put on our website. Uh, Not everyone knows this, but each message that we have is recorded and can be viewed again. And I'm going to put a lot on this one. And uh, my hope is that God will use it to encourage and equip us for this year before us. And so if you want to review uh, later on, you can. The text is Ephesians 5, and it's verses 15 and 16. Uh, Let's look at it together. Uh, There we read the following. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. I chose this passage for today and for this year because of the clause right there in the center, making the most of the time. Does anyone else in here struggle now and then with wasting time? Yes. January 1st is when I think about the year that's ahead of me. And this phrase here challenges me to think about how I use all of the moments that I've got, to be considerate about how I spend my life instead of just letting it happen to me. When I look back on 2022, I can see a fair bit of time that just passed me by because I let it happen and wasn't conscious of how I was using the time that God had given me. We all know this. The freedom that we've got to act is limited by the duration of the lives that God has given to us. Did anyone else watch or read Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol? Yeah, you know. We, we have today, we imagine and we hope that we'll have tomorrow, but we don't actually know that. And what we do all know, every one of us knows this, is that at some point, we will have no more time. And, and keeping that thought in mind makes it plain that this right here is a good passage to read at the beginning of the year because it challenges us to make the most of the time that we do have. It's a good passage for January 1, don't you think? Yeah. When you look at the language beneath the English, it makes it even better. And and this is one of the benefits that I have of being a pastor, is I can spend time doing this. And here's where I'm going to do a little Bible study. Making the most of. That verb in Greek comes from the marketplace. It literally means to buy up or purchase. It's kind of like a version of the word redeem. So try to picture this. You go to the market and you lay down your resources for this one thing 
to the exclusion of all other things. That's what the verb making the most of means. That you divest yourself uh, of everything else for the pursuit of time used wisely above all other things. It's good guidance. And then uh, the Greeks have several words for time. This one here in Greek is kairos, which is different than the simple measurement of duration, which is chronos, okay? Kairos means season or moment of opportunity. Like when things come together and you say, this is our time. Have you ever felt like that? There's a unique season, a unique opportunity right now. This year ahead of us, it definitely holds opportunities that God has put in it. And it's up to us to choose to pay attention and use this season, this moment that we have in the very best way. We don't have to, but if we will, then we'll grasp what God is putting right here before us. If you would for a moment, let your own imagination go to the things that you have a sense are in this year. Do you have some sense of what some of the opportunities might be? We are especially responsible for attending to how we use our time because of the season of the world that we find ourselves in. Uh, did the last clause that I read here stand out to anyone? Because the days are evil. Does it sound to you like maybe this was written especially for the time we're in? Yeah, I can see some of you nodding. Uh, before we think about today, which this is for today, let's think for a minute about how the statement had unique meaning when it was first written. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. And they were written to a community in Ephesus, which is where modern-day Turkey is. Uh, he was able to say to those folks, Here's why you really need to pay attention to how you use your time. The days are evil. Evil, in, in, in his language, it means disordered in the most fundamental way possible. So instead of conforming to God's will, it goes against God's will. It clashes with his intentions. It's not just a word that means bad. And, and, and in our language, we use it in that way. Something which is really bad, we call it evil. It means wrong instead of right because it goes against God. And in Ephesus, there were all kinds of examples of the presence and power of evil when these words were written. Some of those examples were very dramatic and everyone could agree. Others of them were much less obvious to the ordinary person. And here's why. Because the culture was so used to things being wrong that they wouldn't have called it evil. And those are the ones that were more important for those people to pay attention to because they were the elements in their environment that were against God's will, but most people were okay with. For, for Christians in the city of Ephesus, it was like they lived in a war zone with invisible enemies. And if you know the letter of Ephesians, you know what I'm alluding to. Uh, it was almost like the prevailing wind was against God and every good intention, like evil was in the air. Now, does that sound familiar? Yeah, we shouldn't be gloomy because we believe in Jesus and we believe that he's alive, but we should be realistic. The truth is we could spend all of our time this morning talking about the signs of evil in our world today. Do you think that's true? Yeah, the twisted way 
leaders abuse their strength in a way that disrupts entire countries and, in fact, the whole globe. The prevalence of deception amongst people who should be trusted. The disappearance of morality and civility and kindness and consideration. You see that, don't you? Yeah. More important for you, though, and for me, and for us as a church this year, is to reflect on ourselves instead of on those people or, or out there. And Paul is a great example in this as well. The man who wrote these words often reflected on his own inclination toward disorder, on his own way of exhibiting signs that there was something wrong with him, not only out there. And if you're a note taker, Romans 7 verses 14 and following are a beautiful and humble way this author actually says, I see disorder in my own life. Do some of you know this? Wretched man that I am, the good that I want to do, I do not do, but the bad that I... He was willing to do what you and what I and what we all together must do if we're going to benefit from this guidance today and this year, which is to ask the question, where do I carry within my own heart the seeds of disorder? The, the weight that if I'm not intentional will lead to sorrow and grief and misery for other people in a way that's completely unredemptive. Here's the question that you should open your heart to in order to benefit from this, this guidance this morning. Here it is. How has the spirit of these days gotten into my own heart so that I become a participant in the disorder and, and someone who furthers it? Would, would you be humble enough to do that for a moment? I, I know for sure you can find other people out there who are way more evil than you. I'm sure of it. But for a moment, you ask that. How, how, how does my heart incline toward the kinds of behaviors that add rather than detracting from the spirit of these days? If you're willing to do that, then you can receive the, the opening challenge in our text. Look at it again. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. One of the virtues of scripture when you slow down and study it, study it is how often it's very simple. Do you notice there's just two alternatives? There's unwise and then there's wise. Now, for, for most of us, those two distinctions will sound like an intellectual difference. We think of wise as someone who's smart uh, and unwise as someone who's not. But that's not what Paul means by those two distinctions. For him, the difference between wise and unwise is less a matter of what's in your mind and more a matter of where you go with your feet. Does that surprise you a little bit? I hope it does. Can you pretend it does? Does that surprise you a little bit? Yes. Here's why I say that. That phrase, how you live. In Greek, it's one single word, and it's the word peripatein, and it literally means walk about. So this guidance here is, be careful how you walk about. 
And if you use your imagination and, and picture yourself back in ancient Turkey, in a village where you were born and where you grew up, listen now, that single place would be the only place that you knew about directly. It takes a little work here, but if you think it through, there, there were no communication systems. You could never see a photograph or an image of another place. The only world that you would have known was the world that you were born into and where you grew up. And if you wanted to see another part of the world, for almost everybody who would have read this letter, there was only one way to do that, and that would be to walk there. So this guidance, be careful then how you live, is a guidance that says, be careful how you walk Does anyone here hope that some things change in 2023? Yeah. Of course, we all hope for that in our world. We, we do, and we have good hopes because there's a lot of things in the world that are so utterly broken. But how about for you personally? I, I, do you have hopes for you that things will change? I do too. When this was written, the only way that you could go from where you were to where you wanted to be would be one step at a time. On purpose, thoughtfully, slowly, and steadily, progress always required the decision to go there and then the act, action of one step at a time, moving slowly and steadily toward that destination that you believed you should be in instead of the one that you were at. Every disciple of Jesus should be someone who is aware of the need for change. In the world, yes, but also in herself, in himself. And, and there is no better priority for you personally than to decide, I'm gonna grow as a disciple of Jesus in this year. And that will mean a decision to embrace the truth that you need some change and the reason that this word, peripetein in Greek, is so important for the, the, the Apostle Paul is because of how practically it guides people who are willing to say, I want to grow as a disciple in this year ahead. Uh, can we go back just a moment to the previous slide? I want, you to, I want to highlight a word that isn't clear right now. But do you notice the word right before how you live? It's be careful then how you live. In Greek, that word, which is up there as then is meant to remind the reader of what came before in the letter. Uh, it would have been unusual for Paul to imagine that a person would stand and just read two verses of this letter. It was written to be read in its entirety to the community of faith. But the reason then appears is that this is actually the seventh time in this letter in which Paul uses that word peripatein. And so he imagines that when you read this passage, and go ahead to see how you live again, when you see that how you live, peripatein, in chapter 5, verse 16, Paul imagines that you will have in mind the previous six times it's appeared in the letter. Guess what's coming now? I'm going to show you all six of them, okay? And the reason I'm going to show you all six of the previous appearances of that verb, it's it's meant to be entirely practical. Okay, here it is. If you are going to decide, like I've decided, that this is a year where I pay attention to how I live, how I walk, the previous six appearances tell you what you should look for when you're walking. 
okay? These are the six things that I'm going to try to look for in this year, the things that I'm going to pay attention to, and I hope they'll, they'll be helpful to you. Maybe you won't decide on all six of them. I hope you take one or two or three of them. As a church, I hope that we'll pay attention to all of these. The first thing to look for when you walk, if you're going to walk as someone who's wise instead of unwise, is grace, okay? And for each one of these, there's going to be a single word. The first place Peripatane appears in Ephesians is at the beginning of the second chapter. Here it is, look. There, there Paul writes, this is verse one. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Now in Greek, it's in which you walked. All of you used to walk on the wrong side of the boundary line that God gave to you for your own good. To trespass simply means to cross the boundary that God put there for your own good. That's what sin is. It's to go on a different way than the one that God had laid out for you to go on. I wonder, can you see yourself going on the wrong side of some boundary marker back in 2022? Can you? If so, you don't have to say it out loud or cheer, but some kind of, okay, I can. Here, the only way that you are alive spiritually is because God came and rescued you from that. You were dead, but God made you alive. And and look at verse four and five. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. God saved you from walking in death by his grace. Even though you disregarded God and turned away from him, he loved you still and sought you out on the wrong path where you used to walk and he lifted you up and by his mercy, he set your feet down on the path of life. By grace, you have been saved and that is the first thing in terms of uh, order and in terms of importance that you should be on the lookout in 2023. It is that you should walk in grace every day. And let me be very specific. That means that each and every step you take in life this year, you should be aware of the fact that God has been and will be gracious toward you in every step you take. And you should remind yourself that when you think, here's where I am, I want to be there. Before you endeavor to start moving, tell yourself, and thank God that I'm the, a subject that God is gracious to. And thank God for his grace behind me. And if you're anxious about making the wrong decision, tell yourself, if I mess up, God will be gracious. If you achieve something great because you did make the right decision, tell yourself, oh, thank God that he's gracious to me so that I was able to succeed every step you should look at yourself and say, grace. And then don't just hold on to it for yourself. If I ended there, Paul would say, oh, you've said something true, but unless you add this second thing, it becomes false. Be gracious to the people around you as well. The only way to receive God's grace sincerely is to be completely willing to give God's grace to others. The controlling quality of your way with yourself and others this year should be the same, grace. Uh, Pay attention to yourself and ask, am I walking in a way that corresponds with God's grace to me? Now, if that 
is the foundation of your self-assessment and your aim with other people, then the second thing to look out for uh, will become the primary goal of your behavior, and it's this single word, goodness. So for each of these, I'm gonna have a single word and, and a Bible verse. For those of you who are looking for patterns, they are not gonna all start with G. Okay, but they are all gonna emerge from what's written here. The second time the verb appears is further down in, verse, in chapter two, in verse 10. Oh, this is one of my favorite Bible passages. Look at this. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Again, that phrase, our way of life in Greek, peripatein, for us to walk about in. This is a statement about our identity, every one of us. You are the person that God has made. And you are going to be looking for who you are this year. It's one of the most confounding questions for a lot of young people in our culture, the question of identity. Who am I? The answer is given here. You are the one that God made. And if you press a little deeper into this text and ask, well, who has God made me? The answer is he's made you with a certain set of good works in mind before you were even created. And in Christ Jesus, you have been made. And what for? For good works. That's why I chose the word goodness. The, the, the organizing goal, if I take this to heart, is going to be this. What are the good deeds that God made me for that I can do in this day, in this year before me, in this moment that I've got? If you're going to make the most of the time that God has given you as a wise person, you're going to believe this, that God gave you that time for his purposes and if you're going to take this to heart, you're going to say, all right, that means it must be for some good deed that he's given me this time, this hour, this moment. And if the governing purpose of your walking is going to be goodness, then you're going to ask, are my efforts aimed at benevolence in this moment? If you're going to walk wisely, you've got to find the good that God made you to do and do it. Here, in this moment of silence, would you consider one possibility for you personally. It might even be something good that you can do today. It might be something good that you can do for the person that you're sitting beside or the person who, who's not here with you but you're thinking of. All right, if, if these first two, grace and goodness, are the markers that you're on the lookout for, here's the third appearance. It gives us the principle shaping our relationships and it is peace. This is the principle that should shape all of your relational efforts. If you're going to let uh, the guidance that comes from Ephesians guide you in how you live. Uh, this is the third appearance of the verb in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Here it is. Listen to these words. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life that is to walk Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay. He's got it in mind that there's a calling for you and you have to walk in a way that is worthy of it. That word worthy in Greek is axios. It means in balance with. It doesn't mean God's measuring you and deciding whether you're worthy. It means does your way of walking correspond 
measure out axios, does it bring the axis into balance with the calling that God has for you? And, and you'll understand that calling when you look at it. Look, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There are just an absolutely brilliant series of virtues in that sentence, ending with the word peace. And that word peace there, in some way, that word peace captures the rest of them because the only way to become a person who is governed by peace in her relationships in this crazy world we have, in, in these days which are evil, is to be a person, to be a man who says, look at those virtues again, I will work at humility. I will strive to be gentle. I will do my very best to be patient. I'm gonna to try to bear with the people around me in love. I'm gonna make every effort to maintain this unity. How can you possibly do that? Uh, earlier, I mentioned that Paul was aware of his own shortcomings, and I mentioned Romans 7, 14, where he talks about he's not the man that he wishes he was. Instead, he's the, the, the man he doesn't wanna be. Do some of you know how that passage ends? He asks the question, who will save me from this body of death? And then he answers, thanks be to God, uh, because God will save you. And these virtues that are enumerated here, they are the fruit of the spirit. They're the slow and steady result of a decision to say, here's what I'm gonna aim at, humility and gentleness and peace and patience. Listen, do you think there is anything that would be more healing to our world right now socially than if people said, let's try to work for peace. I, I, would, I would be hard pressed to find a, a different goal than that one, peace. And, and I, don't, I don't mean just peace by deciding to pretend everything's okay, because it's not. But I mean the kind of peace that, that is the result of working toward humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with the people around us. Let these qualities be the ones that you aspire to develop and, and, and let your goal be peace with others. Uh, listen, there's three more appearances. Can you see why I said that you might wanna take notes? There's a lot here. I'm gonna keep going though. Usually it's only three points and so I feel like I'm supposed to wind it down, but no, I'm only halfway there. Oh, we're halfway there. Okay, the fourth appearance teaches, it, do, it doesn't even say that in there. That was totally spontaneous. Um, the fourth appearance teaches us uh, what our preeminent aim should be, uh, and that is fellowship. And that's an old-fashioned word, don't you think? Doesn't it sound like something the preacher says? Yeah, it does. It's a good word, though. And, and here I want to say that the fellowship that we need to prioritize in this year is, first of all, with God, and then with other people who God invites us to be in fellowship with. In Ephesians 4, 17 and 18, uh, the fourth appearance of, of this verb. Here's, here's what Paul writes. Now, this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live. Okay, again, in Greek, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Uh, who are the Gentiles? Here's what he says. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding 
alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of hearts. There are two causes of the condition he names. The causes are ignorance or darkened minds and hardness of heart. Okay, ignorance is not meant to be a dig or, or sort of a mean statement. It, it, just, it just defines a state of being where you don't know. Where you're, because of that, it's like your mind is in the dark. Maybe you can look back at your own life and remember and, and see a time there where you behaved in the wrong way because you just didn't know any better. And that's what he's naming here, a darkness of mind. You, you didn't understand, but then you can see a moment where some understanding came and it was like the lights went on. Do you have a recollection like that? Uh, add to that this second condition, hardness of heart. It's a very descriptive term. Uh, when your heart, instead of being soft and supple and receptive and responsive to God's gentle presence, was like a stone. It didn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, I know I can look at my own experience, especially I can see this in moments of conflict, where instead of being gentle and responsive, I become uh, unyielding. Do you see that in yourself too? And here he says, don't live like that. Instead, open your heart and let it be soft and, and let your mind be illuminated. And when you're doing that, it's the opposite of the condition of the Gentiles, which is at the heart of it. And there it is, alienated from the life of God. It's just a remarkable fact that the journey that I'm invited to walk on is one where God says, I will walk with you in fellowship. And that's the first companion that I should consider in this year ahead of me, more than anyone else that I want to spend time with, is walking in a way that I'm aware of the fact that God's right there with me. And that will take me coming out of the shadow with my mind. Uh, it will mean deciding I'm not just going to let other people tell me what to think about God. One thing that is really remarkable to me is how many detractors, people who are against Christian faith, really have very shallow understanding of the faith. And they gain lots of followers because they're winsome or they're funny or they're very persuasive in the way they attack Christians. And they, they're shallow. their understanding is just so utterly shallow. Uh, don't be like that. Let your understanding of God go deep in this year. Maybe you're a person who said, you know, the more I learn about Christian faith, the less I believe. Let me say, keep learning. You haven't learned as much as you think if you find it to be easy to take it apart. People like that have a very shallow understanding. Let your understanding go deep, and secondly, let your heart be open because God wants to walk with you in fellowship every day. And when you do, when you walk with God in fellowship, then you will also be uniquely capable of the kind of fellowship that God wants you to have with the people around you. Are you sensing a fifth word? Here it is, love. And, and, and listen, you cannot talk about God and the way the Bible talks about God without bringing this word up. You can't. I, I think it's impossible if you read the Bible to avoid this word when discussing what a person who's gonna walk with Jesus should actually prioritize and be on the lookout. And it's in chapter five, at the very start of that chapter where Paul uses this word peripatane right next to the word love. Look at it. This is verses one and two in, verse, in chapter five. Therefore, he says, be imitators of God 
as beloved children and live in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, This is an absolutely remarkable passage. Uh, It might be the only place where in the Bible, people are told to imitate God. I might be wrong about that, that, but I think it might be the only one at least that comes to mind uh, right now. Imitate God. In Greek, the word imitate is from the word mimesis, mimic. Try your best to be God-like, he says. What would that look like? Well, it would look like living in love, walking in love. Again, think about walk. It's, it's much more concrete than living. One step, love. Another step, love. How, how can I step one foot after the other so I'm constantly stepping in love? That doesn't sound right, stepping in love. <laughs> I'm constantly moving toward love. Well, he gives us a picture. Remember what Jesus did, sacrificing himself for us. Remembering that, first of all, because if we forget that, then we lose sight of the very first thing. Remember what the first word was? Help me out. It was grace. Thank you. Grace. Jesus in grace gives himself for us. That's what his love was. It was sacrificing himself. If I keep that in mind as I walk and I say, how shall I walk? Then I can say, how will I present myself as a sacrifice for the people that God has put on this journey with me. Do you have somebody in mind right now who God is really challenging you to love? Be specific. It might be your son. uh, Or it might be a new friend. It might be someone who's just so hard to love. Or a child. Maybe maybe your children um, have become really challenging. They're at that time and, and there's a places where you look and say, that's where it's, that might be where God is saying, here, look there. That's where I want you to sacrifice and love. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, then you will be able to answer this challenge of walking as a wise person in the way that disciples are meant to walk. Love is giving yourself up for others. All right, last one. The sixth uh, appearance of this verb before our text It comes a little further down in chapter five where Paul writes this, verse eight. For once, sorry, it's the word truth. That's the last thing to be on the lookout for, truth. Um, Actually, before I read the text, I think this one is especially relevant for our time, don't you? Especially in the last couple of years, for the first time that I think most of us will have experienced the question of, wait a minute, who's telling the truth has become a much more pressing question. I think, when, I can think back when I was young, it, it wasn't a question that we were asking about our leaders and about the news we were receiving, but these days it feels like uh, it's a much harder thing to grasp. There's just so much deception amongst prominent people. Uh, but again, but again, listen, do not let that fact distract you from the much more practical question that you have to put to yourself, which is, how am I inclined toward deception? To be a deceiver. Would you consider that before we read the text? The text hasn't come up there yet, has it? 
That's some good slide operation back there. But would you really ask that? Do you know that one of the most destructive things for our flourishing is the way we tend to deceive ourselves? Because we can't face the truth about us. Do you know what I mean by that? Like when we make a mistake, we're eager to pretend we didn't so that people won't think that we're the kind of person who makes a mistake. Or when there's something true about us which we wish, wish weren't true, we look for all kinds of ways to go on lying to ourselves and say, well, that's not really me. The more we do that, the more likely we will be dragged into this social game that's happening right now where everybody's pretending. Let's not do that. Let's be committed to the truth. Here, look at this passage. This is chapter five, verses eight and nine. For once you were darkness. That's a very strong statement, by the way. Not you were in darkness, you were. You were. And, and it's not just you. I was. This is really important to note. He's writing to believers. He's not just writing to outsiders. He's talking to people in the community of faith. You were darkness, but now in the Lord, you are light. That's so good, isn't it? That's who you are. You're light. Jesus said that. Do you know that? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So you are light. And then he says, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. There's that word, true. Living in the light means a commitment to living in the truth. When you live... In the truth, your walking becomes good and right. That's how those words are related to one another. And you will live as a wise person and not as an unwise person. And the time that God has given you, and, and whatever it is, whether it's a full year, and next year we're thinking about 2024 together, or maybe your time will be up this year. Either way, if you're committed to living in the truth, then you're life, the time you use will be used as God intends. Okay, here are the markers to look out for as you walk this year. I'm just going to read through the six of them. Here they are. They are grace, goodness, peace, fellowship, love, and truth. Uh, let's ask God now to Turn these six into seeds that grow in our heart and to bear good fruit. Would you do that? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your word and for the way that it instructs us. We thank you for this new year which is ahead of us. And we thank you that you don't ask us to move through life without concrete instructions, but instead you teach us how to walk. May these six markers of what it looks like to walk in a wise way. Be like good seeds in our heart and may they bear good fruit for us, for the people that we're close to, for this community that you've put us in, Renaissance Church, and for this world which you love. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.